0: Let's take a moment, shall we, and look to the Lord before we enter into our message together. Would you please bow in prayer with me? Father, uh, thank you today for this special time of worshiping you. Uh, Thank you for these songs that we have sung. Thank you that we can affirm that we believe in the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Thank you that Jesus Christ is... uh, Through his body and his blood has provided a way for us to be in fellowship with the eternal God. and Thank you that Jesus really is the center of it all. Uh, That he is uh, not only the center of the New Testament, but the center of the Old Testament. And he is the source of every rich and spiritual blessing that we have. And we can affirm together in such a special way today that we have been accepted in the beloved one. Lord it amazes us that when you look at us you accept us just as you accept your own son. Such an incredible truth that is. So we love you Lord this morning and thank you now for your word. Help us to learn it, uh, to love it, and then to walk in obedience to it. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Christians are often accused of this, just believe, and that's all that there is to salvation. Uh, A few months ago, I was talking with a Mormon, and he asked what church I pastored, and he made this statement when I shared with him the church I pastored. He said, you know, Baptists teach, you just believe, and how you live does not affect your salvation. Well, isn't, isn't that, not that just break your heart? I mean, here is somebody who's a part of a, of a false cult, and they have a caricature, a false understanding of what it is that we believe. Um, did you know that there is actually a word to describe that wrong thinking? Uh, the word that describes that thinking is the word antinomianism. Now, if you've never heard that word before, you know the concept. Uh, The word anti means against, and the word namas is the Greek word for law. So antinomianism is uh, the concept of um, against the law. And look at what antinomians uh, believe. Antinomians say they're saved by grace, but they live sinful lives. What we do doesn't matter as long as we believe rightly. That is uh, the statement of antinomianism. Now, by the way, let me just put up another statement in response to this that I think is so very important. Any concept of grace that makes us feel more comfortable sinning is not biblical grace. And all God's people said this morning, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, did you know that Jesus was accused of being an antinomian? Uh, Jesus was accused of bringing an entirely new teaching that was completely at odds with the Old Testament. Uh, He was accused of setting aside God's law because he would not follow the tradition of the rabbis. In fact, one day uh, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said to him, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Do you hear what they were saying? They were saying, Jesus, you are encouraging your followers to be lawbreakers, to be antinomians. And in doing so... You are setting aside the entire Old Testament as irrelevant and unnecessary. Now, do you know what? Jesus did a huge favor for us. He answered that question. And in answering that question, He answered one of the most significant questions that we can ever deal with, and that is... What is the relationship of the Christian to the Old Testament? This morning I say to us, there could not be a more significant question that we could consider. And I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to notice with me verse 17, as Jesus clarifies and answers this Very, very important question. What is the relationship of the Christian to the Old Testament? Look with me, if you would, at Matthew 5, and now notice verse 17. Jesus says, I want to make this very clear. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Now, right there is Jesus' thesis statement about our relationship to the Old Testament. And here's the thesis statement. Jesus completes the true meaning of the Old Testament. That's what our Savior is saying to us. Now, When he mentions here in verse 17, the law or the prophets, he's talking about the entire Old Testament. The law is a reference to the first five books of Moses, what we call the Torah, which means the law. And the prophets in this context is a reference to all the rest of the Old Testament, starting with Joshua through the last book of the the Old Testament, Malachi. And those books, often called by the Jews, the prophets expound and apply the law that God gave in the first five books that we know as the Pentateuch or the law. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus says. In fact, he wants us to get it so clearly that twice he says, I did not come to abolish that. Uh, Interesting, the word abolish, it meant to dismantle a building. Jesus is saying, I didn't come To dismantle the Old Testament, instead, I came, he says, to fulfill the entire Old Testament, the law, and the prophets proclaiming, expounding, and applying the law. It's interesting, sometimes the word fulfill has the idea to complete. If we say to somebody, here's an assignment, I want you to fulfill it, we mean to complete it. So it carries the idea of bringing it to its destined end. I like two great Bible teachers who were very dear friends. One was named John Stott. The other was Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen to what they said this means. John Stott said this, Jesus fulfilled it all in the sense of bringing it to completion by His person, His teaching, and His work. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says, everything in the Old Testament culminates in Christ and he is the fulfillment of them. That's what Jesus is saying. Now if we say, how does Jesus complete the Old Testament? Well, there are at least three ways. and, And let me share them with you this morning. First of all, Jesus completes the doctrine of the Old Testament. Do you know? Every doctrine in the New Testament is found in seed form in the Old Testament. For example, the Trinity. That's hinted at at the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 1. Let us make man in our image. Right in the very first chapter, God is telling us there is a plurality in the Godhead, more than one, and then Jesus comes, and he makes it crystal clear that us, that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you know the doctrine of salvation by faith is found in the Old Testament? Proverbs 3.5, we all know it by heart, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is salvation by faith. Doesn't get any clearer than that. But then you get to the New Testament and you come across Acts 16.31 and it becomes very, very clear what that means. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now that Lord that you are supposed to trust in with all your heart is made clear is Jesus. See, he completes the doctrine of the Old Testament. You know, Jesus also completes the morals of the Old Testament. In the rest of this chapter, Jesus will address six moral issues from the Old Testament. Let me state them for you. Anger, lust, marriage, honesty, retaliation, love. By the way, uh, those are irrelevant to us today, aren't they? There's no significance in any of those for us, is there? And what Jesus will do is in those six issues, he will say, what you've been taught by the rabbis on these is very superficial. Now let me give you the complete truth, and Jesus completes the morals of the Old Testament. You know, Jesus also completes the ceremonies of the Old Testament? Uh, for example, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It is the most sacred ceremony in the Jewish year, and yet listen to what First John 4:10 says about Jesus, "He is our atoning sacrifice, He fulfilled Yom Kippur." The scapegoat ceremony in Leviticus 16, remember? One goat died to pay for the sins of the people, the other goat carried their sins away out into the desert, and Jesus fulfills both. He died for our sins, and he takes them away. And then think about the Passover. The Bible says in the New Testament, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed, Jesus completes the Passover. I have in my files a sermon that I once preached on Communion Sunday on the Passover, right before Communion. And I can just see somebody raising their hand and saying to me, Pastor Brian, why in the world would you preach on the Passover on Communion Sunday? We don't celebrate the Passover anymore. not the ceremony but the completion of the ceremony in Jesus absolutely in fact do you remember in the Passover the people of Israel were told take the blood of the Passover lamb spread it on the head of the doorway Spread it on each door post. Can I ask you this morning? Blood spread up here. Blood spread on each, to- on each side. What image does that portray? Say it with me. The cross. The cross. Even the spreading of the blood in the Old Testament Passover points to Christ who fulfilled it all. Now, this is what we need to understand about this. Even when Jesus does away with the ceremony, the meaning of the ceremony still remains for us today, and therefore, it is still relevant for us as Christians. By the way, a Bible teacher that I respect very much says about verse 17 and this claim of Jesus, it is the most stupendous claim that he ever made. The most stupendous claim that Jesus Christ ever made that the entire Old Testament, doctrine, morals, and ceremonies are all completed in him. He brings them all to their end. Is that not a tremendous, stupendous claim? Yes, it is. Is. Now, here are some questions for us. What are the implications for us as Christians today? This is so important to the Lord Jesus that he moves from his thesis statement, I'm the one that completes the entire Old Testament. Do I want to share with you what the implications are for you as a Christian as you read the First Testament. Let's look together, shall we, at these implications. Here's the first one. The Old Testament's truth lasts for all time. Uh, by the way, as we go through these, um, if you don't shout amen, I'll just understand it's early in the morning. And so I'll just assume that you're shouting amen with me. The Old Testament's truth lasts for all time. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now go back to the beginning of verse 17 and notice Jesus says, Do not think. The grammar there suggests and gives us this idea. Jesus is saying, don't even begin to think this way. Don't even start in your minds to think that the Old Testament is somehow over and done with. No, I don't want you to even get that idea in your mind. Its truth lasts for all time. When Jesus says it's all going to be accomplished, it means come to pass, it means to happen. What it means is the tiniest detail will not fail. Now notice this is so important to Jesus that he says, I tell you the truth, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. Let me uh, share with you what Jesus is talking about. The smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet is the letter Yod. Um, it looks essentially like a, a little apostrophe, and it is equivalent to our Y. Uh, the least stroke is what is called a, uh, a tittle. And you'll notice in the middle uh, is the Hebrew letter Resh, which is equivalent to our R, and the Hebrew letter D, which is equivalent to our Dalet. Now you will notice that R has a smooth rounding and the only thing that distinguishes it from the D is the little flange on the end that sticks over the end. That's what is known as a tittle and what Jesus is saying to us is the whole Old Testament is so significant that even the tiniest, tiniest detail, uh, the smallest letter, and then the little flange differentiating one letter from another is very significant and will not pass away. By the way, um, how many yodes do you think there are in the Old Testament? You ready? There are 66,420 yodes. I counted every one of them. <laughs> this was the longest sermon I've ever prepared. Now, what Jesus is saying is all are important. Why? You change a a letter and you change a word. You change a word and you change the meaning. And Jesus is saying to us, he has the highest view of inspiration, authority, and permanency of the Old Testament. It comes right down to the little meaning of a word based on the changing of a letter in the meaning of the word. Can I say to you this morning, that is a high view of the Old Testament. By the way, if anybody says to you, it's just the big picture of the Bible that is matters, the details don't matter. Take them right here. Every detail matters because it's inspired by God. Let's look at the second implication. Secondly, secondly, Jesus tells us that he is the Old Testament's true teacher. Notice uh, verse 18. He says, I tell you the truth. Our older Bibles used to say, uh, truly I say to you, And then notice down in verse 20, he abbreviates that same thing, and he says, I tell you. This is Jesus' phrase that he repeated over and over again throughout his ministry to tell us that he gives an authoritative pronouncement. Now, mark this down, verse 18. It's the first time Jesus uses this repeated phrase over and over again in his entire ministry. This is the first place that it occurs. Now, you remember what the Old Testament prophets said? Thus saith the Lord. That's what they said. Now Jesus comes on the scene and he says... I am that Lord, therefore, not thus saith the Lord, I say to you. Jesus is the Old Testament's true teacher. Starting in verse 21, through the end of this chapter, six times Jesus will say, You have heard that it was said, And then he gives the faulty interpretation of the Old Testament that was current in his day. But then he says six times, I tell you, let me give you the right interpretation. I am the true teacher. By the way, it is amazing the things that Jesus found in the Old Testament. It's amazing. Uh, The Sadducees was a party in Jesus' day. And they only believed that the first five books of Moses were scriptures. So they rejected all the rest of the Old Testament, just the first five books. And as they studied the first five books, uh, they could not find uh, the teaching on resurrection. So the Sadducees said there's no teaching on the resurrection in the Pentateuch. Therefore, there is no afterlife. So they were very much like evolutionists today. When you die, that's it. Your life does not continue in the next life. You Remember what Jesus said one day to them? He said, you say that there's no afterlife. You know what your problem is? You don't know the scriptures. He said, you remember when God appeared to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3? God said to Moses... I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was their God. Now all three of those men had been dead for hundreds of years, and yet God says to Moses at the burning bush, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Present tense, you know what that means? Those three men were still alive in heaven with God. That's what that means. What Jesus was saying to the Sadducees is the Old Testament clearly teaches an afterlife in heaven just like the New Testament does. Jesus Christ found truth in the Old Testament that many people had never seen or understood. Why? Because he's the true teacher of the Old Testament. Boy, isn't that a comfort to us? Boy, what an encouragement that is. Let's look at a third implication. Thirdly. Teaching and practicing the commands as clarified by Jesus our true greatness. Look at what Jesus says in verse 19. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he is picking up on something the rabbis would do. They would distinguish between what they called the the heavy commandments and the lighter commandments, Uh, the greater ones and the least ones. Uh, For example, uh, one of the great commandments is you shall not murder. And everyone would say, well, that's a great commandment. That's really important. But do you know the Bible also says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, Ecclesiastes 7.9. And we might say, well, compared to uh, murder, uh, that's a little bit lighter, being provoked in our spirit. And so you can see how easy this would be then. It would be easy to say, murder is really serious, but blowing my cork when I'm mad, it's not all that bad. Uh, By the way, as Jesus goes on to teach about this, he will say, if you don't think that that's all that bad, you need to understand that blowing our cork when we're mad is the very thing that can lead to destruction and murder. And so Jesus picks up on this and he says, I don't agree with you that there are these lighter commandments that are, are, are sort of unimportant, and then there are these bigger ones that you really need to pay attention to. No, he says, even the lighter, least commands are important to the God who gave them, and the believer who takes wrath just as seriously as murder is the believer who who is great in God's eyes. By the way, can I just stop here for a moment and say Jesus is making a very important point. This is always what God has wanted. God has always wanted people who love and obey him. It's the teaching of the whole Bible the New Testament says faith without works is dead. The New Testament says don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers. This is nothing less than what the entire Bible teaches us, both old and new. God is not impressed With knowing the truth, God rewards doing the truth. That's what's great in his eyes. You know what is very interesting? As uh, people would study the Old Testament, they discovered this. In the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, God gave us 613 commands. How do we know which ones we should do? 613 commands in the first five books of the Old Testament. How do we know which ones we should do? Well, look at what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm the true teacher of the Old Testament. Therefore, Jesus tells us which ones are over and which ones are still for us today. That's how we know. Uh, Do you know that one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is uh, this verse right here, Mark 7, 19? Jesus declared all foods clean. Uh, That's one of my favorite verses because my favorite lunch meat is ham. Uh, how How many of us this morning like ham sandwiches as much as I do? All right, I have some people that are with me. Now here's the, here's the problem. I open up my Bible to the Book of Leviticus, and I find there are all kinds of food laws. I mean, of the 613, I think maybe a 100, are food laws. And one of those food laws is you cannot have ham. And so I say, what am I to do? What am I to do? What are we going to do with this? Uh, what are we going to do with this pig roast that we all enjoy every year? And then I come here and I say, now the Old Testament lasts to all time. Jesus is the true teacher, and I'm great in his eyes if I obey even the least commandment. And then I come to this and I see the Bible says Jesus declared all foods clean. In other words, the food laws had a very temporary purpose... They were not intended to continue after Jesus came when those food laws that distinguished clean and unclean and showed us that God was a holy God when Jesus came and showed us that God was a holy God in the greatest way by going to the cross and paying for all of our sins all the food laws were done away Jesus Christ then said every food now is available for you because the food laws have served their purpose and he now says, invite your pastor over for a ham sandwich any time you want. See, this is not guesswork. We have a Savior who makes it very clear for us. Let's look at the fourth implication. Number four. Entering God's heaven requires a changed heart, resulting in a new life. Look how Jesus rounds this out in verse 20. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees, they would study uh, Old Testament law minutely. You know what they would do? They would count letters and words in a book. When's the last time you went to the Psalms and counted the letters and the words? That's what they would do. They trivialized the Old Testament and they added their own clarifications to it. By the time that Jesus came, there were thousands of regulations and rules that they had added to it. In fact, they called these extra regulations and rules fences. They said uh, the commandments of the Bible are so important, we've got to put fences around them to make sure that people obey them. And the fences became more important than God's Word. And they totally forgot what God said He would do when Jesus came. In fact, let me ask you to read with me once again from the prophet Ezekiel. What God said that He would do when Jesus came. Turn back with me, if you would, to Ezekiel 36. And I want you to notice what Jesus said would be fulfilled in Him when He came. Ezekiel 36, and look with me at verses 25 through 27. Look at these words. This is what the Old Testament says God always was looking for and what Jesus would accomplish. Look at verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There it is on the screen before us this morning. Brothers and sisters, can I say to you, this is the only way it'll ever work. It's the only way it'll ever work. Jesus sprinkles our hearts clean by his blood. Then he gives us a new heart that is soft like flesh, that wants to respond toward our great God. And then he sends his spirit To move us and to enable us to love and to obey Him. This is what grace is all about. And isn't this interesting? What do we usually think? We think Old Testament is law. New Testament is grace. But I want you to notice, grace has always been the same. It is a new heart and a new life produced in us by the Holy Spirit. It is always, always the only way it works. And it is what Jesus came to bring. Let's bow our hearts and our heads together for for just a moment. We're going to gather around the table of the Lord in just a minute. And as we do, we're going to commemorate our Savior. And as you know, communion has its roots in Passover. And Christ has fulfilled Passover for us. And just before we worship our Savior through the elements, I want to invite you. If you're not sure that you belong to Christ, that you can belong to Him today, you need to be sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. You need a new heart that is soft like flesh towards God. And you need the Holy Spirit who alone can move you and enable you to love and obey God. And the method of salvation in the Old Testament is the method of salvation in the New Testament. It is by grace through faith in the provision of God leading to a changed life and good works. And if you're not sure that you belong to Jesus today, I invite you to trust Him. Your affirmation can be very simple, Lord Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner and I can do nothing to commend myself to you. I know that I'm lost, but Savior, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again for me. I believe everything taught in the Old Testament has its perfect completion in you. And I now turn to you. I repent, I turn from my own way. And Savior, I turn to You. By faith, come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a child of God. Give me eternal life. And from this day forward... Because God will now live in me. Lord Jesus, I will follow you. And then for us believers today, any antinomians amongst us, playing fast and loose with the commands of God. If that is the case, Jesus says, you are the least in the kingdom. Greatness is those who, because they know what has been done for them, love and obey God. And so today... if you at all are pursuing a cheap kind of grace it does not change your life you need to do business with god something is wrong and you need to do business with your savior And do that now while His Spirit speaks. Blessed Savior, thank You for all that You have taught me this week. Thank You for things I had not seen before. Thank you for the wonderful comfort that I have in the full sufficiency and adequacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you this morning that I participate in it. How joyous, how firming, how beyond, fully grasping. We love you, Savior. Hear our prayers today and come and change our hearts. For Jesus' sake, we pray.